0: visit the all in website. Leviticus 6, if you open your Bibles there, we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, last time we went through uh, Leviticus 6, verse 7, and then in verse 8, notice the first word is then, so it starts kind of a new section. Um, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Aaron, command Aaron and his sons, Saying, This is the law, the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. It's understandable when we get to Leviticus that you see these commands through Moses for Aaron and his sons. Uh, it's very rarely um, that God talks directly to Aaron, which is unlike Egyptian religion where the priests claim that they talk directly to the gods. Um, That's not the case here. Moses is not the high priest, and Aaron is not hearing directly from God um, normally. So you have this kind of accountability system that's built into what's going on here. And as a reader, not only is the Lord not talking directly to you, he's talking to Moses, who's talking to Aaron and his sons, and then we get to read that. Um, So it's not a historical narrative, so there's no story built in, except for very small parts of Leviticus You've got this book for the Levites showing them how to do offerings, how to do sacrifices, um, and and how to do their jobs. So you've got a job manual that you're reading here, and it's easy to read over that. Put that on the shelf for a second, because reading Leviticus is where we find depth in getting to know God. You want to build a relationship with God? You want to have fellowship with God? This is the mechanism by which God showed the ancient Hebrews how to do that prior to Jesus. And the way that we build relationship and fellowship with God hasn't essentially changed. But the image of the priesthood, the practices of the sacrifice, are reflections, are images, are analogies of a walk with Christ and a a walk in faith. So we see continual references back to the sacrifices. The entire book of Hebrews, but all over the New Testament, we see references to the sacrifices. Jesus, when he taught. Uh, talked about the sacrifice, he talked about atonement, he talked about sin, he talked about trespasses, Uh, he talks about peace with God. And when he's talking about peace with God, that's a Hebrew word that is bringing up images of peace offerings in the the heads of his listeners. And we're going to see through the rest of the Old Testament references back to Leviticus, back to these sacrifices. It's not just killing an animal right? If it was just killing an animal, they would have done it just like the the Canaanites and just like the Egyptians. But they're doing it different because this is symbolic of giving something to God, sacrificing to God, so that you can have peace, fellowship, and be separated from sin. So chapter one shows the burnt offering as an atonement for sin. That's the perspective from the people. Here's how the people will bring a burnt offering. But now we see in chapter six, the law of the burnt offering. So this is the priest's perspective on that very same offering. So the offering doesn't change, but the first one is here's how the offering goes. The second one is here's what you as a priest will do for this offering. So the imagery shifts from the person seeking fellowship with God from the congregation to the role of the priest that's helping with that relationship, from people to priest. Uh, So atonement here, fellowship with God and freedom from sin, uh, from the priest's perspective, it's all about how to do the offering. It's about order and form. And we're going to see later, in, 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 as we move on in Leviticus, we're going to have Aaron's f- two sons breaking that form and ignoring the order that's supposed to be here. And when they do that, the Lord kills them, drops them dead. So you got the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Kind of those five core offerings, right? There's other pieces of that. The grain offering can also be called a gift offering or a, a tithe. Um, and uh, the peace offering uh, will be mixed and, and, and touched with other things. But these are kind of the core building blocks of all the other offerings that are there. There's a drink offering that happens, uh, which is a kind of grain offering. Um, so we have these basic things. So the first, uh, we have further instructions for the priests for the burnt offering. Verse 8. Uh, the Lord speaks to Moses. He commands Aaron and his sons. This is the law of the burnt offering. The word law there is Torah. Um, and it means this is, for the priest, this is a law. It's important you do it this way. Uh, and there's basically two things that we see in these, this, this, these two verses, 8 and 9. One, you should leave it on the altar all night. And as we're about to read, the second has to do with clothing and what they wear. And then the third, uh, at the very end of this section, it's about keeping that offering burning eternally um, morning and night until their their era as priests is over with so this long burn the lord uh, does this work and he's going to start this fire and the point is that there should be this ministry that the priests uh, focus on so from the priest perspective it's about keeping that fire burning for the people and for god because you've been commanded to do it So there's a long work that happens. And that's true of ministry. Ministry is a long haul. It's a journey because to truly minister or disciple someone, you spend your portion of your life or or the rest of your life ministering to that people like parenting a child for the rest of your life. That person's going to be in your life. Uh, And good ministry, I think, is about building those kinds of relationships, lifelong relationships. So when someone comes and gives a burnt offering, uh, don't Don't do things differently. Do it the way I've told you to do it. And let that gift ascend to God. And don't get in the way of that. And from the ministerial perspective, when someone comes to give their life to the Lord, don't get in the way of that. Help that to happen. Facilitate that. So when it says, it shall never go out, there's a picture here, both of the fire of the Holy Spirit and and the fire of judgment or the fire of wrath. And it shouldn't go out because there should always be a picture of that wrath in people's minds. There's a picture of judgment that's there. There's an eternal fire of the Holy Spirit that is the same fire that blesses his people. That same fire can also be a judgment for people. God's fire, God's wrath. Revelations 14, 11, God's wrath is for sin and pride. Um, At the smoke of their torment will ascend. Ascend is the, the same concept as a burnt offering, ascending. And it'll ascend for forever and forever, and they have no rest day or night. People that are counter to God or fighting God or in resistance to God, uh, they will give that sacrifice of their life. They will pay for it with their lives because that's the consequence of sin and pride. It'll rise. Anabiano is to ascend or to rise. Same concept in the Greek as it is in the Hebrew. Um, You will either sacrifice, and that sacrifice will ride to God, and you will be escaping your judgment or there will be a sacrifice of your life which will ascend to God. Either way, uh, the fire is going to consume something to pay for that sin. Verse 10, the priest shall put on his linen garment. Here we get to clothing, right? He, has, he should be wearing clothing. And his linen trousers, which for some reason the word trousers just makes me laugh. It makes me think of British shows like the wrong trousers. Um, and in his linen trousers he shall put on his body and he shall take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar and he shall put them beside the altar then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place this is interesting verses 10 and 11 have to do with clothing so when people come and bring that burnt offering you're going to have to carry away ashes at some point why is it so important that they need to change their clothes they need to take off those priestly garments and put on Uh, other garments or regular street clothes in some ways when they're handling those ashes and they leave the tabernacle they're not acting as priests anymore they shouldn't be seen as priests they're just normal people carrying a pile of stuff outside of town so when they're taking out that the uh, the remains of that offering uh, and they have to clean up and do that work there's a consciousness about being seen as a priest or not being seen as a priest Linen is a symbol of purity, so when they take off those linen trousers and put on other garments, uh, there's just an image there that's different. And there's also an imagery here that goes with carrying things outside the camp. When you wrap those ashes, they wrapped them in linen, and they carried them outside of the town. Uh, when Christ is crucified, there's a burial and his body is wrapped in linen, and the Gospels make a huge point of that. And they carry his body away, and it's non-priests that carry the body away. So what's going on in the temple is not having to do with with carrying away Christ's body to a tomb. And he's buried not in a priest's tomb. He's buried in a rich man's tomb. Verse 12, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it and it shall not be put out. So here's that focus. Don't put out that fire. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire always shall be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So just in case you didn't get that in verse 12, priests, it shall never go out in verse 13. So there's a redundancy there. When the Bible repeats itself, it's making a a point. It's something we should tune into. The job of the minister, the job of the holy priesthood, the job of the royal priesthood is to help remember to keep that fire burning. And there's a fire that God's word starts and priest's job is to keep that that going. They should be teaching the word. They should be showing people joy and love. They should also, on the flip side of that coin, remind them of the price of sin, remind them of God's wrath. They should be inspiring people. And if the priesthood fails, if they relax in this duty to teach the word, to show people the fire of God, the whole nation is going to suffer. So this is a law for them to keep it going. So in Leviticus 9.24, we're going to see that fire gets lit by God, but it's the job of his people to keep it going and to kind of foster that fire. In the same way, the Holy Spirit gets lit in someone's heart by God, but there's a job of the priesthood to help keep that kindled in people's hearts, to keep the fire alive. Second Chronicles 7, that fire, when they build the temple under Solomon, again, that fire is going to come straight from, from God himself, And that's the claim of the Bible is that God lights the fire. So remember that. Keep the fire burning. Verse 14, this is the law, again, the Torah of the grain offerings. We're moving on to the second offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take it from his handful of fine flour of the grain offering with with its oil and all its frankincense, frankincense, which is on the grain offering, And shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. And the remainder of it, Aaron and his son, shall eat with unleavened bread. It shall be eaten in a holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, they shall eat it. They shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and the trespass offering. All males among the children of Aaron may eat it, it shall be a statue forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. The grain or the meal offering is a non-blood sacrifice from chapter two. Anyone can give it. It's not voluntary for priests. When people come and voluntarily give a grain or a meal offering, it's kind of like just bringing a gift to the Lord, saying, thank you, Lord, we love you. You're good. I think it's the, the, the beginning of a first fruits offering or a tithe, and it's just something that people give because they love the Lord. It's a representative portion of what they have. Verse 15, representative portion. So tithing then isn't about how much you give. It's about giving a portion of, of God's. And if God's blessed you with everything, then giving him a portion of that is is, is 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 perfectly reasonable. If you're impoverished and you have nothing, a tenth of nothing is nothing. So God doesn't need the money of the gift offering. What he needs... Uh, is people to understand that he's giving them everything in their life. They do it in front of the altar, not on the altar, but in front of everyone. So when they take this tithe, this, this, this grain or gift offering from the people, the way it gets used is never secret. That's what's important for the priests. You are, A, required to take that offering, and you're going to eat it in front of everybody. So you're going to consume and use that tithe in front of all the people. There's total transparency in how that money gets used, how that food gets used, and how those resources get used. You got to eat it without yeast. So when it happens, it should be eaten or burnt up. And priests take it with their grain offering, but there's no yeast or sin. Um, it, remember, yeast represents sin, uh, and we can, we went have gone through that in prior chapters. But there's that whenever you see the mention of Yeast and, and leaven, you should be thinking of how that sin kind of infects and grows in people's lives. There should be none of that uh, if you're in the ministry and you're taking ties, you should be have you should be walking with the Lord and in fellowship with the Lord. Do it in front of the congregation, so there's no hoarding of it. There's no secrets of it. and you don't peace. and this is this is something that <clears throat> this is a tough topic because around the world we do have pastors, we do have ministers, we do have priests that call themselves followers of Christ, but they consume this gift offering privately, and they hoard the money, and they do things differently. I have a friend who uh, uh, goes to a Nigerian church, or left the Nigerian church, and one of his critiques with the Nigerian church is that the wealthiest people in Nigeria were the government officials and the pastors. The pastors would take these resources from a population that really couldn't afford to give it, but they were giving it because they loved the Lord, and then they were trying to use those resources in private. Another one of my friends goes to a Nigerian church and supports his pastor because he feels that his pastor needs to be showing the wealth of God's people. So his pastor has two private jets, and I've never understood that. This is difficult for me to get my head around. Why a pastor might need one jet is a stretch. And the yeah, idea is they need to fly around the world to teach God's word, and they need to be able to do that efficiently. And oh, okay, well, if your congregation thinks that's important, you're doing it in front of the altar, then that's maybe part of the church that that church is gonna, they're gonna fill that need in the larger global church, right? I get that. Two, pa- two jets, I don't understand because you can't ride in two jets at the same time. Um, so and maybe in case one breaks down, you still have a spare. I don't get it. What I do see is a pastor consuming a lot of wealth, and they have a congregation that supports them. They're doing it publicly. So it's hard to judge on these things. That's my point. In one case, you got people that, where the pastor's doing things in private, and you got another place where the culture is to support a pastor that would use that wealth in such a way that God's, God's word goes forth. Um, when the congregation knows publicly what's going on with that tithe, then that church can be a part of the body in various places, but woe to the pastor that consumes and eats this gift offering and they do it where they're hoarding it for themselves or they're doing it to get rich because it's not about the money. It's about the fellowship with the congregation and what they're doing. Verse 17, it is most holy. So that should be something that's a blessing that it's holy, but it should also be something that to the priesthood, to the ministry that's a warning too. This is something God takes extremely seriously and he'll receive this, right? Uh, It's a permanent right that we see here. It says a permanent right, a statute forever. Um, The pastor should be ready to live off uh, this grain offering or fruit offering. And even in the church age, uh, Paul writes to to the young pastors and says, you know, this is, you should be ready to accept that gift offering um, and to take that. But remember, Uh, you must be holy, very last thought on this. And that's kind of the, remember, you need to be uh, doing this without sin. There should be a pure heart when you accept this offering. So then there's a few procedures for that grain offering, the gift offering. Verse 19, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This is an offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord, beginning on the day when he is anointed, which is coming up here in a chapter or two, One-tenth of an ephath of fine flour is a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning, half of it at night. It shall be made in a pan with oil, which is, by the way, how you make donuts, which is mixed. You shall bring it in. The baked pieces of grain offering you shall offer as a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among his sons who is anointed in his place shall offer it. It's a statute forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned, it shall not be eaten. So when the people come in and bring a grain offering, the priests are going to accept that and take it. But look at this, verses 19 through 23, even the priests have to give a grain offering. So this kind of answers the question is when when you're a, a pastor and you take tithe, do pastors pay tithe? And I believe these verses say, yeah, you're not above the idea that you need to give a portion of what you 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 make and give it back to the Lord as a gift, right? So this is something that that they are told to do. Um, They're supposed to give this kind of very small portion of a grain offering back to the Lord. Um, And they aren't to eat their, or aren't to to consume their own offering. They just burn it up and give it to the Lord. So the priests also give their first fruits of what gets brought in. Morning and half of it at night. Uh, This is not a bad thing if you take it with all the other meat offerings You've got the smell of baked bread and the smell of barbecue mixed together. Morning and night uh, would be a delicious as part of what makes that, that temple courtyard just attractive to the, the senses. Um, it's carefully mixed. I think that's an interesting point. When the priests give their offering, they're to carefully mix it. In the Hebrew, that means those two words are, uh, first, not sloppy, uh, obviously careful, very similar to what we mean by it, not, th- not sloppy and not without thought. It should be with thought, with care, and with intention, and honorably done. And the second word is created, asah. It's the same Hebrew word from Genesis 1 when God created the heavens and the earth, right? They're, they are to carefully create or mix this bread. They're supposed to do it with some intention and thought. And I imagine them mixing that bread and just praying as they do it, right? Like they do in some monasteries. You have these priests that baking bread is an act of worship. They should be doing it and creating it in a way that it is the best they can do, and they're going to burn it up completely. What they do for the kingdom, what they do for God, should be entirely burnt up for God. That careful labor, that careful intention that our pastors, our youth ministers, our worship leaders, that they put into the church, the work and the excellence that they put in, should all be given to God. Be wary of people in the ministry that want to get attention for that or get credit for it. Look at how many people I've added to the church. Look at how many, uh, how many people have gotten saved because of my teaching and my work. It's not your teaching and it's not your work. It should be completely God's. Praise God for how many people are coming. He adds to the numbers of the church. Praise the Lord for your gifts and talents. When you carefully mix it, you're doing it because God's put you in that position to do careful mixing, right? So for the priests, they don't offer it for themselves. They offer it for the Lord, and it takes three forms of offering, right? In verse 21, it says, you shall offer. The word is karab. It means to come near. And I love this kind of distinction. In verse 22, it says, you shall offer it, which means asah, which is that created or made it. You shall, you shall make it. In verse 22, it says, it shall be wholly burned, qatar. That smoke is not an ascending smoke like a burnt offering. And it's not being burnt down like a sin offering. It's to smoke or fill the room like a sauna, like a, like, a, like, a, like a smoker, right? It's to be wholly burned. There means Qatar, to fill up the room with the presence. I think those three images are beautiful for the ministry. If you want to go into the ministry, here's where it is and in the right order. First, you shall come near the Lord, Karab. And you make and you do things and you put in the work, a saw, number two. And number three, your presence should fill up the room. So prior to coming in and and, and coming into a church and being the the person that fills up the room, you should come near to God. Prior to being the person who fills up the room, the person up on the stage, the person getting all the attention for your work, you should be doing the work, a saw. You should be making and creating. So prior to step three, Someone who wants to be in the ministry should focus on coming near to the Lord. You do that on your own time, right? If you're not near to the Lord, if your fellowship isn't right with the Lord, if you're not coming into that relationship powerfully first, nothing else matters. All of it's just noise. What comes first is love, right? So fall in love, come near the Lord. And when you do that, start doing the work. And it doesn't matter if your work fills up the room or not doesn't matter if that work is cleaning toilets for the church uh taking a little uh quick vac and, and vacuuming up and, and or stacking chairs before or after the service setting up the sound equipment working in children's ministry when you do ministry the, f- the second after you've come near to the lord it shouldn't matter what you do in the church you're just filling the need that you see now, i remember when we when we first come to church we try to tell the kids like we're just here to be blessed. And we want to come near the Lord when we come to this church. You don't walk into a church and start making suggestions on day one. They're going to look at you like, well, we've been running church for a long time without you. Come near the Lord and build that relationship. But as you look around, see what work needs to be done. And be willing to fill any gap at that church. Just serve. Serve where it's needed. If people need help cleaning up the parking lot, go help clean up the parking lot. Just contribute and be there. And the last and third thing, if at all is everything you give to the Lord should be wholly burned. It should just be the Lord's credit and the Lord's glory. If it's done within the church, it's God's. It's not yours. Look what I did shouldn't be happening in the church. The minister that does only one of these three things isn't doing what they're commanded. These are all commands. These are all the law for the ministry. And they haven't gone away. They're true today as they were then. right? It's a permanent law, it says. Alam, for an age... As long as there are priests, they do these things, right? And Jesus said, I didn't come to eliminate the law. I came to fulfill the law. So as these are in images of what priests should do, there's an eternal reality to what children of Christ should be doing. They should come near the Lord. They should make and create and do do good works, which is all over in the New Testament. And their presence should fill up the room. You will know them by their love. And there are people, we know people, we have people in this Bible study that when they walk in the room, that just the joy and the love just exude off of them, right? And remember, Holy Burned is here two times. It's important. Give it all to God. I remember when Grant was first playing guitar with the worship team and people would come up and say, Oh, Grant, that sounded so great and that was wonderful. And Grant kind of didn't know what to do because he's a humble guy, right? We talked to him and we kind of watched other people in the faith and then we kind of saw like... You know what people we respect to is they just say, praise the Lord, and they hand it right back to the Lord. Any praise you want to give to me, I'm going to give it right to the Lord. I'm going to wholly burn it up. I'm going to send that to God for you. So thanks for the compliment, but praise, praise the Lord you were blessed by that guitar playing. Praise the Lord that that touched your spirit in a neat way. God's doing a work here because I didn't push my way onto that stage. And we just appreciate that that's generally speaking how great godly musicians handle it is we'll praise God because it's been an opportunity that God's given. It's been a talent that God has blessed me with. And every time I carefully offer it, I carefully mix that work. And I put all the work in I can to be a good guitar player, a a good singer or a good uh, kitchen worker or a good pastor and teacher or a good um, uh, maintenance person. I put all the work in I can But man, all of that goes to God. That's just to fill up the room with God's presence. We go on to the sin offering in verse 24. Notice that we skipped the peace offering. And that's because these offerings are for the priests and they're a description of how the priests should handle things. So they're going to cover the peace offering last, which is really the order for priests of concern. The first concern is deal with that burnt offering. Second is you need to be able to handle those tithes. And the third, verse 24, Also the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. It's not voluntary, it's the law. This is how you're going to do it. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, that's the altar of atonement, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. We see this phrase, it is most holy now. This is not the first time, but it keeps being something where the, the instructions to the priests are very particular, and when it says it is most holy, read that as, don't mess with what I'm about to say. Do it the way I'm telling it to you, because God's trying to share this beautiful image of atonement and peace, um, and how we deal with trespasses and sin, That's going, where Jesus is going to perfectly fit these offerings as an internal sacrifice. So when you play with the style and the method here and get all creative, um, you're messing with how God is trying to tell a story. It's most holy. He's set it aside as holy and sacred and separate. Verse 26, the priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place, it shall be eaten. And in the court of the tabernacle of meeting, everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it was boiled shall be broken. And if it's boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy, but no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. Washing is largely because the offering is symbolically taking on sin. The priesthood's role is to take on that sin, but the blood is holy, and it's ritually speaking... To remove that from the tabernacle is not appropriate. You're going to wash those bowls, wash those clothes, so every bit of that blood stays in the tabernacle. When sin gets removed, it's pure enough for the priest to take that in. Think of the imagery here. This is amazing. When people bring sin into the church, into the tabernacle, into the temple, not only is that sin not going to leave that place, you're going to deal with it right here and right now. Every part of it's going to stay here. That person is going to leave forgiven. You don't take the blood home with you, it gets rinsed in the holy place. Sin gets handled in the church. And it's either burnt up and given to God, or it's consumed by those priests. They eat it. Right? It's interesting here how the blood and the flesh is treated separately. The blood is going to stay in the tabernacle. The flesh, there's exceptions and there's places where the priests can eat that or sustain themselves from it. Part of what the ministry is all about is helping people handle their sin, to take some of that burden with them. Christ says, when you take on my yoke, my burden is light, right? That's because a yoke is taken on by two animals, two oxen take on a yoke together, right? And you can share a yoke with two spots. But Jesus says, "I'm gonna, It's your burden is light because Jesus takes the whole yoke on his shoulders. Takes the whole burden on his shoulders. And when we travel with people that are trying to imitate or look like Christ, we help take the burden off of people's shoulders. The ministry is about sharing that load and that burden. You can eat a part of that. You can take that on. But it doesn't leave the church. It's incidental here that it gets burned outside the camp, which is uh, uh, clarified in Leviticus 9.11. But here we don't talk about the fact that that this offering gets, the remains of it, the ashes, get carried outside the camp. And in part because the priests don't do that. Remember, the priests took off their clothing and even changed out of their gear, changing their role to handle that. So in Exodus 29.14 and Leviticus 44:21. The priests will carry it out. But in this particular passage, it's not part of the instructions for the priests. It is not necessarily the priests who carry the uh, remains of the sacrifice outside the camp. So though we see it in Leviticus 4.21, we see it again in Leviticus 8.17 and and, and 9.11. Here, it's not mentioned. That's interesting. Um, even though in Leviticus 6:11 we just saw they take those they take it on to take it outside the camp but here the point is that what they can do they do inside the church right so this minor exception here and it, it is uh, makes, f- something that the rabbis for centuries would be kind of confused by is do we need to take it outside the camp don't we here it's part of the rule here it's not just because it's not listed here doesn't mean it's not part of the overall rules that they will adopt and take on that's not a, a logical problem it's just an interesting point why isn't it mentioned here but hebrews 13 takes this minor point and fully develops it because after christ you start to see oh there needed to be a, a listing here where this is clarified. And listen now how Hebrews 13 takes that on. Starting in verse 10, uh, the writer says, we have an altar from which those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat, right? So we're talking about those who serve are the priests. This is the rule for the priesthood, which is what we're reading here in this chapter. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, the sin offering, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, also Jesus also... That he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, taking on that burden, right? For here we have no continuing city inside the tabernacle and temple. That era is done, but we seek the one to come. We seek Jesus. We seek the new era, right? Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips and giving thanks to his name but don't forget do good and share for such sacrifices god is well pleased come near to god do good work and fill up the room with your presence right this description in hebrews makes leviticus 6 extremely interesting because we fit it to a t so both the Old Testament, those who serve in the tabernacle aren't to leave it. They need to shed those robes when the new era comes. They have to go outside the tabernacle in order to find Jesus, because he's outside the tabernacle. We have a new altar outside the tabernacle, right? We have an altar from which those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat, but they do have a right to eat here, as we see in chapter 6. There's times when you can eat in this tabernacle and you can take that on. But that's for a different era, is the argument of Hebrews. The era's changed. If you want to find Jesus, he's outside the tabernacle. Take off your priestly robes and become a believer. Hebrews clearly notes what grain is today. It's what we offer with our words, our thanks, and our works. I think it's still tithe, too. God accepts these two. And while... The fact that God can take these gifts and he can count them as our sacrifice, continually offered before God. When we praise God, that's our sacrifice. When our words are fruitful, that's, that's our sacrifice. And when we give credit to God and we just give thanks to his name and say, praise the Lord, I'm really glad you accepted that work, but praise God. All those things are eternal covenants with the priesthood people who serve the king. And God takes those things and accepts them as our sacrifice. That's good news. Because I don't have to give up animals. I don't have to go buy a cow and give it to God. I can just have fruit from my lips, give him credit, come close to him. What a blessing, right? Coming close to God and praising the Lord. What else should a believer want? The closer you get to the Lord, the more that just fills your soul, right? I just want to be praising the Lord all the time, but I I have to at some point go to work. Right, But I come close to the Lord every chance I get, every morning, every night, every time I can set aside, I want to be coming close to the Lord. The more mature in the faith that you get, the more that time becomes precious, and the more time you want to give. How marvelous is that? This, by the way, just as a thought, as a point, this is the last thought in the book of Hebrews. Right, It's the concluding point being written to pastors, that this is what you do, come close to the Lord, give him praise, right? Put your work in, let your fruit, the the, the fruit of your lips be something you give to him, giving thanks to his name, and do good works, and share it, because God's pleased with that, right? And those things fill up the room, they represent Christ to this world, what, that's the concluding point of the entire book of Hebrews, which does a careful analysis of basically the entire book of Leviticus, right? The concluding point is, go be with God, love the Lord, serve him. What a gift. What a beautiful thing. If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend, screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.